You're listening to Radio Influence. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. is sending shockwaves through the NYPD. A highly regarded inspector has taken his own life. CBS 2's Tony Aiello is here now with these details. Tony? Well, shock at police headquarters at City Hall and in Park Slope, where Inspector Michael Ameri spent several years as commanding officer of the 78th Precinct. The NYPD confirms Ameri was found dead early this afternoon in West Babylon, Suffolk County. Investigators believe he drove his NYPD vehicle to a location near the Bergen Point Golf Course, about two miles from his home, and shot himself. In 2014, Commissioner Bratton put a Mary in charge of the NYPD Highway Patrol, where he was a key player in implementing Mayor de Blasio's Vision Zero program to reduce traffic deaths. Sources tell us Ameri recently was questioned in an ongoing federal corruption probe, which is looking at businessmen who may have bribed police officers. Numerous police officers have been questioned, nine have been disciplined, but Ameri was not one of those nine. We begin with a developing story. San Antonio police say one of their officers has died after he apparently shot himself in the head. Police say the officer was on duty at the time of his death. His fellow officers found his body inside his police cruiser at Port entry and southeast loop 410 and that is where ksat 12 josh gernick is standing by he's been following the story throughout the morning josh what can you tell us about this particular officer we don't know much about him except that he is a 10-year veteran of the force and was assigned to the east patrol beyond that he didn't show up at the substation after his shift ended at 6 30 a.m and didn't respond to a dispatch call an hour and a half earlier. Officers found the victim in full uniform inside his patrol car in this commercial area just before 7.30 a.m. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I'm your host, Vincent Hill. That means it's Tuesday. That means it's 8 o'clock. That means you could have been anywhere else, but you decided to stop by and listen to me for just a few minutes. You could have been watching the NBA Finals, but no, not really. That Game 3 is tomorrow and it looks like the way the Cavs are playing and Queen, I'm sorry, King James, the way they're playing, looks like it may be a sweep. Looks like Golden State is ready to put this thing to an end. They're in Cleveland tomorrow night. I'm curious to see what Queen, I'm sorry, King James is going to do. I'm curious to see what the Cavaliers are going to do. But quite frankly, they've been playing like a peewee league to me. And it looks like Golden State, again, may sweep this thing if it, if they do. It's going to be hard for anybody in the media, anybody in sports, anybody anywhere to say LeBron James is the best player in the world. Not when your team gets swept. Not when your team gets beat by the team you got beat by last year. But hey, that's just me. This isn't a basketball show. This isn't a sports show. This is beyond the badge. And if you listen to those sound bites the first minute and a half of the show, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, let me help you out with it. I'm talking about suicides, and I'm talking about suicides committed by police officers. It happens. But let me give you a little history of why I'm talking about this tonight, and then I'm going to dive into it and why I think it's important. So the other day, I'm on my Facebook, and I'm looking through my wall, 
And I see a post from one of my friends, Terry Burnett. Terry Burnett, I love this guy. I've known him for years. He's a canine officer in Nashville. Really stand-up guy and great officer. He's been doing this this job for a while, longer than I did it when I was there. He had been on for years. But Terry, really good guy. So he he poses a question to the local media, which is what caught my eye. And he says, I never see you post the name of a suicide victim in your news stories, but let it be a police officer. And you damn sure got to run the story, listing his name and making note of every minor infraction that might have occurred in their career. So it got me curious. And then what really sparked my interest is the actual reporter that reported on it said, you know, let me explain this. He said officers are public figures, which they are. And when you're in the public, it kind of eliminates or excludes you from having that, I guess, expectation of privacy, which it does. I mean, Everybody knows that about police. Once you're in that job, I mean, you do one little thing or you, somebody accuses you of one little thing, your name's going to be out there. So it's totally different for uh, police and civilians. So I still didn't know what the story was, the backstory to this. So I posted, hey, Terry, did I miss anything? So someone sends me this article and it's about a decommissioned Nashville police officer who committed suicide. And of course, anything in Nashville catches my eye and it catches my heart because as you know, that's where I was a police officer at. So I start reading the story and this this happened on June 5th. It was Jonathan Perez. He was a five-year veteran with Nashville Police Department. So I personally did not know him because I left the department in 2006. So didn't know the guy, but apparently... uh he called the crisis center, said he was going to kill himself. SWAT was called out. Negotiators were called out. And after no response from him, after several attempts, you know, they made entry into his apartment and they found him dead with the self-inflicted gunshot wound. Now, why would he kill himself, you may ask? Well, maybe he thought that was his only option. So let me go back a little further. Let's go back to around March of this year. When he was decommissioned and he was decommissioned for stalking and apparently someone either on the department or someone he had a working relationship is what the report says. And that could have been police officer or dispatcher, because let's be honest, police officers and dispatchers date here and there. It happens. That's how some people meet their spouses on the job. Officers date. So it happens. But at any rate, uh, there was this relationship that for whatever reason, came to an end. He was told repeatedly, stop messaging me, stop emailing me, stop coming by. His commanding officer even told him the same thing. He didn't do it, so he was decommissioned. So fast forward to June, he decided that was his only option in life, was to end his life. And let's look at it uh, first from the human aspect. Yes, he was a police officer. But at the same time, let's not forget, he's human and he's a man. Let's be honest. There's some men that don't like rejection. There are some men that live by, if I can't have you, no one will. It happens. Does that go away simply because you put on a badge and a uniform and a gun? No, it doesn't because there's emotions involved. There's history involved. 
It's the same thing that happens in other relationships. Those things happen in police relationships. That's why the divorce rate exists. That's why infidelity exists. Because at the end of the day, police are human. So he gets decommissioned for whatever reason. He didn't want to stop communicating with this young lady. Now, not excusing anything he did. And I want to talk about some serious cases as well where officers committed suicide. And I think you'll get my point. Not excusing anything he did. He was decommissioned. Now, one thing I know about Nashville police and my friends in Nashville police will tell you this. When you're decommissioned there, you're in a black hole for a year, two years. You're just sitting down at South Precinct, basically someone's secretary sitting behind the glass and taking reports and giving out information. That's the life of a decommissioned police officer in Nashville. And after those years or year or months, most of the time those guys don't get their jobs back. So here's a guy had been on for five years. I'm sure when he was growing up, just like me, the only thing he wanted to do was be a police officer. So in his mind, just think about this. In his mind, maybe, just maybe, he thought there was nothing else. I've lost my girl. And, and there's a strong chance I could lose the career I wanted for so long. What is he going to do? Now, have I ever been so low and depressed where I thought about killing myself? No, but I can't put my mind in their mind. I can't put my heart in their heart. I can't say that I wouldn't send messages, messages to someone when I felt the connection there. I can't say that. Again, I'm human. Have I ever stalked someone? No. Have they told me to stop messaging them? Absolutely. Then I think if we're all honest with ourselves... At some point in our lives, somebody has gotten upset with us and said, hey, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Don't message me. Don't email me. Don't call me. It happens. It's human nature. Emotions are involved. Feelings are involved. Feelings get hurt. That's what happens. So at the beginning of the show, I played two sound bites. One was up in New York and the other was in San Antonio. And in both cases... Well, it wasn't clear in the, the San Antonio one until you dig a little further. But in both cases, those officers were either being questioned about something that could be illegal or had done, done something where they thought their career was in jeopardy. The officer in New York was questioned about a corruption probe. Here's a guy that had been on the department for years, and now he's being questioned about a corruption probe. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I'm not excusing any actions that they may have done to get questioned about corruption. Obviously, investigators thought there was a reason. But think about this. Here's a guy that's been on the department for years. I don't know how many years exactly, but he was 44. So we can guess probably almost 20 years. He'd been on the department almost 20 years from... Everything you can tell up until the corruption charge, pretty stand-up guy. He was appointed to a very prestigious position by the mayor, so it's not like he was just some scrub who was at the donut shop, you know, eating donuts and at the Waffle House all day. It, for everything you can tell, he was a decent officer. For whatever reason, his name came up in a corruption charge. 
Did he do it? I don't know. It's not for me to say. Will we ever know? Who knows? But my point is, what else did he think he had? Okay, my career's in jeopardy. The career I gave my life to for 20 years, the thing I wanted to do most in my life as a child, now my career's in jeopardy. Not only is my career in jeopardy, my image is in jeopardy, my family's image is in jeopardy, my children's image is in jeopardy. Oh, your dad's a dirty cop. Oh, your husband's a dirty cop. Oh, your uncle's a dirty cop. That's a lot of weight on someone's shoulders to bear. When you when you really think about it, that is a lot of weight. Now, again, do I agree with suicide? Absolutely not. Could it have gone to trial and maybe he was found not guilty? Absolutely. Could he have been found guilty? Absolutely. But at that point, I don't even think they had him listed as a suspect. He is being questioned. But think about that. That is a lot to bear. My image, my career, my family's reputation. Some people don't know how to deal with the stresses of life like that other than to take their lives. Let's look at the officer in San Antonio. For all purposes, he was a good officer from what I can tell from what I read. But obviously something happened there, whether it was mental stress, whether it was corruption allegations or something, whatever, because just months before he died, he was suspended for one day after leaving his duty station without approval and handing over his badge, gun and police credentials to his commanding officer. So maybe in my mind, maybe that was a cry for help. Maybe he was saying, I'm tired of this job. I'm tired of everything I see on this job. I'm tired of the politics. I'm tired of whatever. But to me, that was a cry for help because I don't know a lot of guys and girls in this business of policing that just readily hand over their gun and badge without being told to unless they're tired of the job. When I got out, part of it was I tired of the job. I'd done it for a while. It was weighing on me. The larger part of it was because I was a single dad, but I can understand someone being tired of the job because it weighs on you. There's a lot of stress that goes with that job that nobody in this world sees. But obviously, there was something going on with this officer in San Antonio to suggest those signs were there. I got one more and I'm going to switch gears a little bit and flip the script. I'm reminded of the officer up in Illinois back November of last year. I believe his name was uh, Lieutenant Charles Glenowitz, and I'm probably butchering that name. But this is the guy that was out on patrol, keyed up on the radio, said he was chasing three people, two male whites and a male black, through the woods, and he was found shot to death with his own gun. And there was this huge manhunt for days and days and days. And I remember when I listened to that dispatch, the radio call, I just remember saying, nah, something's not right, because when he keyed up, he was just this low-key and his monotone, kind of like the guy on Ferris Bueller. Bueller, Bueller. It was kind of like, I got three running. You want us to send backup? No, I'll handle it. No officer does that when he's out man and possibly out gun. Yeah, send backup. Send dogs. Send cats, send gorillas, send the gorilla that got shot at the zoo, send everybody you got because I'm out man and I might be outgunned. 
So when I heard that, I was like, eh, something's not right. But it came out later that he was embezzling money. He was spending money on all these trips for he and his wife and doing all this stuff for his kids. And again, it goes back to what I said. He's done this job for years. He's a former army sergeant, highly decorated. He was highly decorated in the department. Obviously, he was entrusted to be in charge of the police league and in charge of this money in his mind. And again, I am not making excuses for what he did, but in his mind, what else could he have done? Gone to prison? A guy that probably sent a lot of people to prison? What could he have done? And he thought his alternative was to stage this murder, quote unquote, so his family would be taken care of financially, but more importantly, so his family would be taken care of emotionally. And when I say that, I mean the shame of what he did would not get back to his family. But his plan just wasn't good enough because investigators were easily and quickly able to determine what he had done. But that's exactly what his intentions were. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to save my family from being shamed. I'm going to make sure they're taken care of financially because they're going to get my insurance policy. But it didn't work out for him. So let's switch gears just a little bit, but stay on the topic. Now, I mentioned some officers that had some questionable things in their past or things that were in their future that they were being investigated for who took their lives. But I want to look at some numbers and there's really not any collective data on one given website where you can find all of this stuff. So I had to dig and dig and dig to find some of these numbers. But in 2012, there were 126 police officers who committed suicide. In 2009, there were 143. In 2008, there were 141. From what I could gather in 2015, there were over 50 officers that committed suicide. And I think when I look today, I'm up to 9 or 10 in 2016 that have committed suicide. Now, those are some pretty large numbers when you're looking at 143, 141, 126. Now, it's hard for me to believe that out of all those police officers, each one of them had criminal charges pending or they were love struck and were told not to message someone and they just lost it or they were stealing money and they got caught and they didn't want their family shamed or they were being investigated for corruption it's hard for me to believe that all those officers had that going on in their lives when they killed themselves. But here's what's not hard for me to believe. And having done this job, the things that people see in that career. Let me tell you, I've seen a grandmother's head blown off in East Nashville. When I walked in the room, half of her face was stuck to the wall, blown off by a shotgun. It took us about an hour to solve that crime when we tracked her grandson down, and when he came back to the house, he says, how did she die? Was she shot in the head? We were the only people that knew that. But that is an image that I will never get out of my mind, seeing this old lady's face plastered on the wall. I've seen a guy with his head literally ran over by a Ford Expedition, where I could see 
what was left of his head and his brains on the ground. I've seen a 16-year-old girl die in a car wreck in front of me. I've held a 12-year-old on 3rd and Barry while he was dying from a gunshot wound to the chest over a $5 dice game. I've seen a kid hang himself in his dad's backyard and leave a suicide note that said, Dad, I'm sorry, I got a B on my report card. I've seen a baby at three months old die of SIDS, and I got the call. All the while, my son was barely two years old. So do you see where I'm going with this? That is a lot, and I know people expect police to be robots and not have emotions and not have this. And I had this conversation with someone over the weekend. You have to detach yourself from these calls you go on. And a lot of people say, oh, it's cold, it's, it's callous, you're being an ass. But no, it's not. It's protecting yourself from going crazy because you can't attach yourself to this kind of stuff. Seeing a kid hanging in his dad's backyard when you're a dad because you got to be on the report card or seeing a baby lying in the crib dead from SIDS and you have a toddler at home. You have to detach yourself from that because if you don't, it will eat at you. And I'm willing to bet a lot of these guys and girls, but the majority of the people that have committed suicide that were police officers were men. It was like 95% dominant. A lot of these guys have seen more stuff in their lifetime than most people could watch a hundred horror movies. They could watch CSI. They could watch Miami Vice. They could watch NYPD Blue. They can watch whatever police show you want to watch, but you don't see the real and the raw. You don't see dead bodies on a daily basis. You don't see a dead female with her throat slashed because her boyfriend, who had a restraining order, came to the house and killed her, and you weren't there to do anything because the 911 call came in after it was done, and people are harassing you. Well, he had a restraining order. Why didn't you stop him? I couldn't stop him. But now I got to go tell her family she's dead. Tell me if you can do that every day, five days a week, four days a week, whatever police schedule. Some people have five. Some people have four. Some people have three, three tens, whatever. Tell me you can do that for 20 years and it not affect you. Tell me you can go out there and have to call a dad because I remember this to this day when we found that little boy hanging from his tree. We had to call his dad. Tell me that won't affect you. Tell me walking into a house and having a family screaming and you know the man on the floor is dead but they're screaming at you to do CPR. Tell me it won't affect you. And you do CPR anyway, knowing he's dead. And I'm not talking from someone else's experience. I'm talking from my experience. That happened to me on Thanksgiving night, 2007. I'll never forget it. But it's a lot to have on your shoulders. So for the few police officers that killed themselves because they had 
something going on that could be illegal. Again, I don't excuse their actions. I'm sorry that they felt that was their only route. But for the other hundreds upon hundreds of police officers that commit suicide, I'm telling you people, it's not because they're dirty. You know, there used to be a an old army commercial and probably years even before I joined the military. Way back in 94, there was this commercial. We do more before 5 a.m. than most people do all day. Well, let me coin that phrase and flip it for police. We see more in an eight-hour day than some people see in a lifetime. Not before 5 a.m. We see more in an eight-hour day than most people see in a lifetime. One shooting. All right, you did the report. Oh, there's an accident with injuries. You get to the accident. And there's people's bones literally sticking out of their body. And you have to call their mom and say, hey, your 16-year-old daughter who just had her birthday yesterday is now dead. Again, I'm not speaking from someone else's experience. I'm speaking from my experience. And I thank God that he gave me a spirit of peace because that stuff still messed with my head. So if I didn't have that spirit of peace, if I didn't know how to go home and turn it off and, as some people say, be an ass, I would have gone crazy like a lot of these officers ended up doing. And let's not forget, most people want the police to be their babysitter. Oh, officer, I'm calling in a domestic dispute. Well, ma'am, did he hit you? No, I just want him to leave. He's not on the lease. Well, ma'am. If he hasn't hit you and he lives here, we can't make him leave. But he's not on the lease. Ma'am, that's established residency. We can't make him leave. Oh, officer, my husband said I look fat. Do you think I look fat? Again, not someone else's experience. My experience. Christmas Day, 2005. I got a call, a domestic. You think I look fat? And she came to the door naked. Stuff like this will weigh on your mind. It will weigh on your conscience. Not even the bad bloody stuff, but just the daily BS of that job that you have to put up with because you made that commitment to protect and serve. You signed an oath, essentially, to protect and serve. But the problem is, who do you tell all of this stuff to? Yeah, I mean, there's mental health counselors for police, but for the most part, no one wants to look like a punk by going to mental health. True statement. Sad, but true. And you can't really go home to your family and say, oh, honey, while you're at the dinner table, when you get the chance to eat dinner with your family, because that's another thing that will stress you out. You hardly ever see your family, but you can't go to the dinner table and say, oh, honey, you know what I saw today? I walked in this house off Gallatin Road, and this 70-year-old lady had her left side of her face blown off, and it was literally hanging on the wall. And then her grandson, this crackhead, who really just wanted her social security check, shot her in the head, and then came back to the scene and asked us, was she shot in the head? You can't go and tell that to your spouse. Oh, honey, I know our son is barely two years old, but guess what I saw today? I saw a kid in the crib dead, and his face was so blue he looked like Blue's Clues. 
You can't go back and tell that to your family. So who do you tell it to? You bottle it up. And then what happens with the bottle when it gets too full and it gets hot? It expands. Or what happens to a bottle, plastic bottle, when you put water in it and it turns to ice? It expands. And eventually, it may just crack. It may bust open. So what do you think someone's human emotions are going to do? Eventually, when they're expanded and there's no release, they're going to crack. They're going to bust open. I challenge anyone out there who has never done the job of policing to think about every situation I just gave you. Let me remind you of some. The old lady with her head blown off. The 12-year-old dying in my arms. The toddler found in his crib dead of SIDS. The guy with his head ran over. I challenge you to think about those situations. And then multiply it by five days a week. And see if you can mentally and emotionally take it. If you say yes... I'm going to tell you there's a police department somewhere in this country right now that is taking applications. That's what I'll tell you. But if you're truthful with yourself, you're going to say, no, I couldn't take that because the average person can't. It takes a special person to be a police officer. And it goes beyond, oh, I wanted to do this as a kid. Oh, I want a badge and a gun because I was bullied. Those type of people get weeded out really quick. It takes a special type of person to give 110% to put their lives on the line to protect and serve and to put up with the things they put up with on a daily basis, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. A very special person. So every time you see a police officer, I want you to think about what he or she may have gone through that day. Think about that when they pull you over and according to you, they may have a bad attitude. Think about that when you're at the drive-thru and you see them with their car running and you want to say something stupid like, I pay your taxes, turn that car off. Well, guess what? They pay their taxes too and other officers pay their taxes. Think about that when you see some of these videos On the news, oh, it's excessive force. Look what he did. And you don't understand what the use of force is. Think about what officers go through and see on a daily basis. Some so much so that it draws them to kill themselves. And then come back to me. If you want to comment, Vincent Hill TV on Twitter. At Vincent Hill TV. Let me spell it out. V-I-N-C-E-N-T-H-I-L-L-T-V, like television. Please leave your comments there on Twitter. Email me, tvlawenforcementanalyst at gmail.com. Please leave me your comments. But I challenge you to think about what I said. Think about if you can do it. And more importantly, I challenge you to appreciate what police officers put up with on a daily basis The next time you come across them. All right. So moving on. Tonight's roll call. Unfortunately, we have one to report. And this happened this past Saturday, June 4th in Memphis, Tennessee, 
Police officer Vardell Smith. Vardell was struck and killed by a vehicle whose driver had been involved in a triple shooting approximately 30 minutes earlier. He got in a car. He shot people. He ran from the police. During the pursuit, he struck Officer Vardell Smith pretty much on Beale Street in Memphis, not too far from B.B. King's and all the touristy spots. He struck and killed this officer. It's sad he had been on the department for 18 years. He survived by his children, his fiance, which means he was about to get married, and his father. And I think about that John Q line that Denzel was in. A father is not supposed to bury his son. A son is supposed to bury his father. So now this father is left without his son because of some idiot. And think back to what I said. Now the officers that were chasing the suspect now are going to have it on their conscience of what they saw happen to their officer. And you don't think that's going to be weight on their shoulders? You don't think that's going to be something that could cause someone to think there's no other way to deal with it but to kill themselves. Think about that. I want to thank you for listening. I'll be watching the game tomorrow night. I'm putting my money on Golden State all the way, but I guess we'll know here in a few weeks, or we may know by the end of the week how that series turns out. Thank you for listening. I will see you next Tuesday, same time, same station, RadioInfluence.com, and available for downloads on iTunes immediately after. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a LOL with Nancy Alexander Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Here with L.A., the sex goddess herself, Lynn Austin. Some of the girls I've met, like especially interviewing them. Mm-hmm. And this is, I never had this mindset, but girls today have a more progressive mindset, obviously. But they take it as like a little, their own little, uh, they're entrepreneurs, their own little thing. Like they, some of the bartenders I've met of like, they call in when they're off shift and say, how much did that girl do? Because it's kind of like, Oh, wait a minute. Oh, no, kidding. no, no, I want, That's I want to be there. Be, yeah. And they're cultivate clients. They cultivate customers that are, you know, regulars. They good. cultivate those. Good. They it use is, that as they should. Yeah. And they use that. It's not just like how we did it. We were like, Oh God, I got to work. Are you kidding me? And we own the place. We ran the joint. We really did. Managers were just for show. It could have been a cardboard manager. You're really. actually causing me to have a lot more respect for um, those women mm-hmm. than, uh, than I'm ashamed to say that I did prior to your saying this. And some of the girls, and this is because all the interviews. I assumed that they were all the kind of women that were just like, hi, I'm pretty, buy me a car. No, they, they use this as a stepping stone, as a, you know, a springboard. And a lot of them, I can't tell you last year, because I did all three judging. I did judge interviews, which is a three-day process. And then I judged preliminaries, and I judged the night. And I'm the only judge that ever got to do that, and I've done that for a couple of years in a row. But this year, I think I'm only judging prelims and um, the the pageant. I think someone else, like maybe some of the higher-up gurus, are going to do the interviews. But 
a lot of these girls are so smart and so on it, and I they've so got multiple love degrees. To hear that, oh my gosh, some of them have are going after multiple degrees while raising a baby, while their parent is dying, and they're taking. It is amazing these stories, and I really wish that we could get some of these backstories out into the public so people would. We're doing it for now. once and for all, like stab that whole preconceived idea of what a Hooters girl is in the head and let it go. I had that preconceived notion. I'm ashamed to say. Prior to your saying this out loud on this podcast. <laughs> well, some, and, you know, and there's always the girls that are using it as a way to model or a way to get, you know, that next step in modeling. Or some girls that are using it as like, eh, it's a temporary thing. There are those girls. There's that, there are those girls and men in every, yeah, yeah. In, in, Fair e- enough. in every situation, in every job market. But a lot of our girls are so awesome that the stories, I mean, I would sit there, honestly, and they'd have, I'd have a tissue box, and I would just be bawling because of these. No kidding. These, oh, my God, they're For amazing. Instance. They're 22. Well, like I just told you, there'd be a girl that said, you know, I just lost my dad. I was trying to take care of him. Um, I have, you know, I'm going for my master's degree. I work at Hooters. They work around my shifts so when I would have to be at hospice. And you're just like, how? How are you doing this? You're 23 years old. Mm. You're a puppy. Mm-hmm. You're ba- These shoes are 23 years old. I'm wearing right now. Yeah, they're still under warranty. But they're the still, 23. yeah, they're, and, but they're go-getter. And they understand. They're like, listen, my customers are mine. And I want them there when I'm there because I, I like it. I like knowing what they're doing. And I like listening to their stories. I'm actually very encouraged to hear that these kinds of stories because mm-hmm. I really did think, because overall, it seems like young women now when we were growing up, we, we, you know, you were, that's when yeah, feminism was, was sort of new. And we were being encouraged in elementary school to become mm-hmm. doctors and astronauts. And now it seems like girls are just lazy and they want to be pole dancers and they want people to just buy them stuff. I have found- which makes me want to take young women, especially pretty ones, that are not intellectually curious or that exercise that muscle. It makes me want to throttle them. I want to give them a colonoscopy, honestly. I have daughter, I have a 17-year-old, and I, you know, you get to kind of be in the background of that and here, and there's a lot of backsliding going on with, you know, some women right now, some... I'm cute, pay my rent. And it's it's sad. But, um, yeah, I know there's a lot of these girls that are just... It's especially sad because they're not going to be cute forever. Yeah. You know, it's like, as as we said earlier on, it's everybody's turn to be young once. Mm Mm-hmm. And then eventually your turn is over. And then you got to dig deeper. And then you got to dig deeper. And you better hope you're smart and you're well-spoken and you're well-read and you can navigate a room. You better damn hope that you learn that somewhere along the way of being a pretty girl. LOL with Nancy Alexander can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.